0: excited for this new series that we are starting. Uh, It's going to be called Puzzles About God. We're going to be asking some big questions about what God is, what God is like, um, about who God is, some of these different questions, a lot of them some very basic questions that a lot of us have asked uh, throughout our lives. So the first four episodes will be focusing in on some of God's attributes, things like aseity and omnipotence and don't worry if you don't know what those terms mean yet. You'll find out soon. Uh, we'll be asking, what is God's relationship to time? And can God make a rock so big that even God cannot lift it? So is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then in the second part, we'll get into some particular Christian claims about what does it mean for God to be three in one? How is that possible? What does that mean? Um, and then how can the kind of God that we're describing in the whole first part of this series become human in Jesus and so we'll be looking at the the divine human relationship and what does that mean for who God is and what kind of thing God is
1: it might or, like uh, it might be worth saying a little bit about uh, or just uh, flagging the fact that this series puzzles about God is going to be taking us into slightly more intermediate mm. Uh, mm. philosophy and theology waters so uh, if you were listening through, if you've listened through the podcast so far, we've done some some uh, biblical scholarship that was pretty rigorous, but uh, didn't necessarily require thinking about God's attributes so much as it did about uh, historical scholarship, and the class uh, does prayer work, We started doing some philosophy and theology that I think was sometimes difficult, but not uh, too far beyond a beginner level. And this class, I would say, is probably getting more into intermediate waters, where we're going to be talking about some fairly abstract concepts at times. So just wanted to flag that as a warning. I think we're going to do our best to bring those abstract uh, concepts to... uh, Oh, concrete territory, and try and make them as accessible as possible. But uh,
0: Basically, uh, there's going to be some hardcore nerding out. Uh, <laughs> so I hope that uh, you enjoy that as much as we do. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, our first episode is asking the question, where did God come from? So, Justin, can you tell us, where did God come from? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, well... Answer that. <laughs> Yeah, so um, this is a super common question. Uh, This is a question that I think a lot of people raised in religious contexts start asking when they're very young. Um, And then I think some of us sort of learn to stop asking it, but you still hear it uh, in other contexts as well. So, for example, sometimes Christians will try to argue that the best explanation of where the universe came from is that God made it. And sometimes the response from a non-believer is, well, who made God? And similarly, sometimes Christians will try to argue that the best explanation of why um, some features of the natural world appear to be designed is that God designed the natural world. And again, sometimes the response from non-believers is, well, who designed the designer? In fact, that That idea is actually uh, central to the book The God Delusion, which is a best-selling book by Richard Dawkins, the Oxford zoologist who has become famous as a critic of um, creationism and religion in general. So this is a really common question. It comes up in, in various forms, in different contexts, and so I think it's definitely one that's worth addressing. So does this have anything to do with how God is related to time? Yeah. So this is that's a good point. Um, this is this is a thought that I think a lot of people uh, have at one point or another. I've definitely heard people express this. Um, the thought, basically, is well, often it's it's put something like this. Well, look, God is outside of time, and it doesn't really seem to make sense to talk of something that's outside of time. Uh, coming from somewhere or, or beginning to exist because the idea of like beginning to exist that sounds like a, a temporal notion the yeah. sort of thing that can only happen to something that's in time that would have had to be an event right mm-hmm. right and and events are are temporal things so um this is a common thought and i think that this is a good and helpful thought but we do have to be careful with it And one of the reasons we have to be careful with it is that um, not all Christians agree that God is outside of time. So uh, some people have tried to argue from scripture that that the Bible actually seems to teach either that God is outside of time or that God is inside of time. I'm not moved uh, very much by either of those arguments, though if you If you pressed me on it, I would say that the scriptural case for God's being inside of time is actually stronger than the scriptural case for God's being outside of time. Um, But I think that, for the most part, scripture really just doesn't uh, say anything that properly interpreted um, settles this question. Uh, If you look, though, in the intellectual uh, history of Christianity... You'll find that the dominant view historically has been that God is outside of time. This this was the view held by Saint Augustine, uh, by Thomas Aquinas, by Boethius, and many many other people. This has by far been the dominant view in the history of Christianity. You got to give that shout out to Boethius. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a name like Boethius.
1: <laughs> Next child, um, mm-hmm. Boethius.
2: But it hasn't been unanimous. Uh, there are also some prominent names in Christianity's intellectual history who have taken the view that God is inside of time. Uh, for example, William of Ockham is maybe the, the biggest name in that regard. Now, if you look at like contemporary Christian intellectuals, um, it seems to me that most theologians nowadays just kind of take for granted the view that God is outside of time because of its uh, dominance in the tradition. But there are some people uh, mostly working in philosophy who I would describe as specialists on the question of God's relationship to time. People who have studied both the philosophy of time and uh, the philosophy of religion. And most of these people are uh, Christians. And when you look at, well, what do these sort of specialists on the subject of God and time think about this issue? uh, I think you'll find that the... The situation is kind of reversed from what it was historically. Nowadays, the majority of these specialists actually think that God is inside of time. Not all of them, though. Um, Many of them do. So William Lane Craig, Dean Zimmerman, Richard Swinburne, and many others um, hold the view that God is inside of time. But some of the people who have worked on the subject of God and time in philosophy, like Eleanor Stump, for example... Uh, maintain the more traditional view that God is outside of time. So there's definitely a disagreement here. Um, there's not just one view about uh, how God is related to time in the, you know, from the Christian perspective. There's a disagreement here. There are different views. And for that reason, I think it might be a little bit too quick to just answer the question, where did God come from, by saying, well, God is outside of time, and so God didn't come from anywhere. However, that point is still kind of on the right track to maybe a more neutral uh, answer to this question. Because one thing that pretty much everybody seems to agree about, regardless of whether they think that God is outside of time or inside of time, is that God is eternal. And following William Lane Craig, I think that the right way to think about what it means for God to be eternal is just that God never began to exist and will never cease existing. And that's going to be true if God is outside of time, because things outside of time can't start and stop existing. But it will also be true of God if God is inside of time, because well, let me just stick with the, the main version of the view that God is inside of time. On the main version of the view that God is inside of time, uh, you can go forever and ever into the future and into the past, and uh, God will always be there. There was no beginning of time. There will be no end of time. And no matter how far back you go or how far forward you go in time, God is always there. There's never a time that's sort of before God came into existence or after God goes out of ex- existence. Now, if either of those views is true, if God is outside of time, or if God is temporally everlasting, it just goes on forever in in both directions, temporally, then it seems like the answer to the question, where did God come from, is nowhere. God didn't come from anywhere because God never started existing.
0: Okay, so we've talked about either way, whether or not God is atemporal, so outside of time, or God is just in time, but, and just always existing into the past and the future, um, either way, we still have to ask the question, right, of why, why does God eternally exist at all rather than not existing? Why why does God have existence as opposed to not having existence?
2: Right, so, so the original question, where does God come from, I mean, you can answer that by just saying nowhere, because God didn't come from anywhere, but what you're pointing out is... There's another question you can ask at this point that's sort of in the same spirit as the original question. And that question is well, wait a minute. We can, we can imagine alternatives to the view that God has always existed or that God timelessly exists. We can imagine, for example, that God hasn't always existed or that nothing has always existed. Or, you know, that if we're going with the atemporal view, that it, atemporally God doesn't exist rather than atemporally God does exist, right? And so we can then ask the question, well, why are things this way rather than one of those other ways? Why is it the case that God has always existed rather than not? Okay, Um, I think that, I mean, one answer to this question that most uh, Christians would agree about, not quite all of them, but most would agree about is um, that, well, the reason God has always existed is because... God has this property called necessity. Now, what that means in this context is basically that God exists in every possible situation. Now, most of the things in our ordinary experience aren't like that. Uh, For example, I used to not exist. So, obviously, I don't exist in every possible situation. I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) We can also imagine imagine history... We can also imagine that history might have gone a different way and I never came into existence at all. Moreover, all the things that we're familiar with in ordinary experience can be destroyed or taken apart mm-hmm. uh, in some way, right? But the idea here is that God isn't like that. God can't be destroyed or taken apart. god It was never the case that God didn't exist. And moreover, there's no way that history could have gone on which God didn't exist. God exists in every possible situation, uh, according to this view that God has the property of necessity. And if that's true, then the answer to the question, why is it the case that God has always existed rather than not, is because it had to be that way. Because in any possible situation, God exists. You can't fi- There is no possible situation where God hasn't always existed. So that's one way to answer the question, uh, why ha- has God always existed rather than not?
1: So do you think there would be some people who would be dissatisfied by that answer? You know, they're asking, you, you're telling me that there's this being who has always existed and always will exist, and I'm asking you, wh- well, why? And you're saying because it had to be that way? That doesn't seem like an explanation. Yeah. So, what, what kind of uh, what could we say maybe to some uh, uh, question like that?
2: Yeah. So, um, I think you're right that there is something kind of shallow about this explanation, which is not to say that it's false. Right. It's just to say that it's incomplete. And so here's here's one way of of maybe trying to um, flesh out this worry that you're suggesting. Let's suppose that there are certain thoughts that God thinks no matter what. Like maybe the thought that God is good. Maybe God thinks that thought in every possible situation. Well, then it would be the case that if God exists in every possible situation, and God thinks the thought that God is good in every possible situation, now we have something, a particular thought, that in addition to God exists in every possible situation. But intuitively, you might think, well, that thought depends on God for its existence. That thought exists because God is thinking it. And you might think then, well, we can sort of ask a similar question about God. We can say, well, okay, suppose we grant that God exists in every possible situation. You might still ask, well, what makes that so? What does God depend on? What's the further necessary thing? that exp- that makes it the case that God is existing in every possible situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really excellent question. And here is the traditional answer to that question. This brings us to yet another attribute of God. We've thought about God's uh, being eternal a little bit, and then we talked about God's necessity. Here's yet another attribute of God that um, I would say, I think in this case, basically all Christians agree God has this property It's called aseity or self-existence. And this is just the property of not depending on anything else Mm -hmm. for your existence. So Christians have traditionally thought that God as a perfect being doesn't depend on anything for God's existence. Or at least anything other than God. Um, And if that's the case, then the answer to what is the necessary thing that that God depends on, that makes it the case, that God uh, exists in every possible situation, is there is no such thing. Uh, God doesn't depend on anything. Yeah, so you brought up
1: that, that this idea of God as a perfect being. Yeah. And I was going to suggest that that might be uh, an important point at the at this kind of stage if we're talking with an atheist or a skeptic or... Agnostic someone who's not certain about all these kinds of attributes, that uh, we're positing this being who has existed for all of time, who exists in every situation, uh, and who depends on nothing, and th- and they still might ask, well, why should I think that yep. there's anything like that? or what, why should I think that uh, that this being has all these attributes? And what we want to say is that, well, we think that God is perfect, that God is a being with all perfections and lacking in nothing. Mm-hmm. And the reason and that kind of concept of God as as a perfect being supports these kinds of attributes that to exist uh, for only a moment would be an imperfection compared to the idea of existing for all time, or Mm -hmm. being outside of time, being Mm -hmm. eternal or or all-temporal. And then to be existing necessarily rather than uh, accidentally or contingently would be an imperfection.
2: Uh, Right. I think that um, a way to cash out that thought is, uh, the way I like to put it is like this. You would think that a perfect being would have the most stable mode of existence Mm -hmm. possible be like the most invulnerable to destruction or non-existence that any being could possibly be right and like Superman it seems like <laughs> that would involve existing necessarily and existing necessarily entails existing eternally because if you exist in every possible situation then obviously you exist um, at every time or perhaps timelessly uh, instead of at times but anyway um, yeah, so I think that's a good point, and, and one way of putting that point is like, well, we think of God as a perfect being, and it's not arbitrary to say of a perfect being that it has these sorts of attributes. It actually seems to be a logical, or at least a conceptual consequence of the view that God is a perfect being, that God has these attributes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There is, though, maybe a different kind of worry or question that your thought is pushing at there that I think is worth talking about. Most of the objects in our ordinary experience are not like this at all, right? The objects that we're familiar with in everyday life are not permanent. They can be destroyed. They depend on other things for their existence. So we're suggesting that God is, is, as a perfect being, just radically different. From the sorts of things that we're familiar with. And you might wonder: like, what is it about the deep, like, hidden nature of God that that explains why God has these properties? I mean, I guess I kind of go back and forth on whether it's enough to just say, well, God is perfect. Because it's certainly true that being perfect seems to entail having those properties. I'm not sure if it if it if it's the right way to talk about like what makes God have those properties or if that just pushes the question back a step and makes you think, well, what makes God be perfect? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I go, I kind of go back and forth on those questions. So I want to say maybe a couple of other things about this issue. Um, in case you're sort of unsatisfied with the just, well, God is perfect, so God has all these properties. Right. Here's a couple of other thoughts. One thought is um, what we're dealing with here is kind of the threat of an explanatory regress. It seems like at any point, anything you say about why God exists or why God is like this, you're going to be able to ask the question, well, and why is that so? Or what explains that? And what explains that? And so on. And this is a standard There's a, a standard form of problem in philosophy where you end up with kind of three options. You either stop somewhere and say, okay, here's, here's an explanation which does not itself have an explanation. This is just the rock bottom of explanation. Or you admit an explanatory regress where explanation just goes backward and backward forever and there's no beginning. Or you allow some kind of an explanatory circle where uh, something ultimately kind of ends up looping back around and explaining itself. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with all three of those options. But what I want to point out is that's not a problem for people who believe in God in particular. The version of the problem that's asking, well, why ultimately does God exist, may be particular to those who believe in God. But there's a version of that problem for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because everyone thinks that we need to explain some things. And so everyone is going to have to ultimately face the question of what, if anything, is the ultimate explanation? Where, if anywhere, does explanation stop?
1: When I was a kid, before I uh, before I first went to church, I remember lying awake in bed wondering where humans came from.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Or um, maybe a, a, a more a way that maybe a more uh, sophisticated atheist might confront this question is like, why is there a universe? Yeah. Why and is there something might, rather than nothing? Is a yeah. is a traditional kind of cosmological question. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And you're going to end up with basically the same options. You're either going to have to say there's no explanation, or there's. Uh, Uh, you know, an infinite regress of explanations or there's an explanatory circle or something like that. Right. Okay. Reminds me of the slightly
0: annoying toddler who's like, why? Mm -hmm. Well, because of this. Well, why? Well, because of this.
1: Why? And just, either you (laughs) you stop, you give the brute stop, you keep going forever or you circle back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the the strategies with the toddler too. Uh huh.
2: Another point that I think is good to make here, um, one last point, is that it seems to me that even if we don't know like, what is the deep, fundamental explanation of why God has properties like etern- eternity, necessity, self-existence, or even perfection, if there's some explanation of why God has perfection— Um, That doesn't mean that it's unreasonable to believe that there is a God who has those properties. And it's really easy to illustrate this example by looking uh, at um, examples from science. So, for example, uh, we knew, and we're totally reasonable in believing, that stars give off light. long time before uh, astronomers figured out exactly what it was about stars that explained, like, how they gave off light, and why they did that. Similarly, uh, a long, long time before scientists figured out the chemical structure of water, uh, we believed, and it was totally reasonable for us to believe, that water has certain properties, like being potable and transparent and and, uh, you know, freezes at a certain temperature and so forth, we didn't have to know what it was about the nature of water, like its deep chemical structure that explains why it has those properties in order to know that it does have those properties. Or, you know, uh, in biology, um, take the example of, like, living things reproducing. It, uh, It was totally reasonable for people to believe that living things reproduced Uh, other living things of the same kind with minor variations a long time before people like Mendel came along and figured out what was like sort of the genetic uh, story underlying these uh, more superficial uh, properties and phenomena. Similarly, it can be totally reasonable for Christians to believe that there's a God who is eternal and necessary and self-existent, even perfect, um, even if we don't know... What it is about like the deep nature of God that explains why God is that way So that was
0: episode one of the series and looked at some of the initial questions about God's uh, necessary existence, God's existence which is not dependent on anything else, God's uh, eternality. Um,
1: I think) mostly.